So welcome. Today, The Thing About Aging is absolutely thrilled to have Hillary Wright and Elizabeth Ward with us. They're both registered dietitians. They practice in the Boston area, and they are co-author of many books, and together they've written The Menopause Diet Plan. If you can catch them on Instagram, please do. I love your videos, you guys. They are amazing. The two of you have got to go on the road and have your own TV show. You guys rock. We'd love a TV show. We're laughing about anybody's that, yeah. listening. Absolutely. Let's let's try to talk to some producers out there. Some of you out there. <laughs> so, um, your book is so amazing. I dog-eared the page. I well, I started dog-earing pages, and then I just like started coloring with my highlighter because there are so many factoid bombs that literally blew my mind in this thing. And it's not just about menopause. It's not just about. It's about aging. And I, I, it also is about, it's not just a diet plan. I mean, the title is The Menopause Diet Plan, but it's so much more than that. I mean, you have recipes, you have lists of like, which has more protein, haddock or soybeans. I mean, it's just, there's so much in there. So we're going to get right to it because I want to share as much, but everyone's got to go buy this book. It is phenomenal. Of course, to that end, the title will be very helpful. It is called The Menopause Diet Plan. Thank what you. you. <laughs> what do you want us to know? What do you want to tell us? Well, the book was really part of our friendship, our journey together. Um, we've known each other since college. And oh, wow. We each have three kids. Hillary has three boys. I have three girls. And we've been together for a really long time. And um, we decided that we wanted to work on this because this book about menopause, because it's, well, a, a topic that nobody seems to want to discuss. Totally. And yeah, I mean, there's so many health issues surrounding it that we wanted to make sure that women knew how to eat better, not just because they might have some weight gain, but because they've got probably a third of their life ahead of mm -hmm. them. Yeah, and we want to optimize that time. Real, really interested in the quality of people's years, because you can live a long time in this country with a um, not great quality of life. Yeah, and, and food as medicine, because we're just walking bags of chemicals and what we put in our bodies, like we don't often think about food as what its impact is going to be. The things that you told me just revolutionized. I loved the image that you gave of the two-third a plate. Can you talk about that? Our balance plate graphic, um, where we say, look, about a quarter of this should be healthy, lean protein foods like chicken or fish. Um, or even lean meat, about half of it should be fruits and vegetables, and the other quarter should be, um, you know, preferably uh, whole grain foods like quinoa or what we pasta or something like that, um, and some with some healthy fats sprinkled in. And the reason why you know this is such a great approach is because it's it's an icon that you can remember, you know, when you're filling your plate. So you're not counting grams of this and grams of that. You're just kind of filling your plate with, with nourishing foods. Absolutely. I loved that. One of the things that I am absolutely mystified by is this idea of the gut microbiome, which everyone is talking about. Can you tell us a little more about that? Sure. In a nutshell, um, you have trillions of friendly bacteria that live in your gut. Most of the bacteria live in your colon, so the lower part of the gut. And you need these bacteria. Okay, you shouldn't try to cleanse yourself of that bacteria, right? But, you know, we hear a lot about cleansing and things like that. Don't do it. 
Okay. Um, you need this the healthy bacteria because they help to push out the bad bacteria. So there's a good balance in there. And, you know, food is really very important to keep the gut going. And by food, I mean fiber. A high fiber diet, and we talk about that in the book, is important on so many levels, but really primarily to feed the gut and mm-hmm. to keep the gut healthy. And Hillary and I always talk about women midlife, you know, don't go into the perimenopause transition and afterwards have changes in their gut function. You know? I mean, you know, your hormones affect your entire body. Mm-hmm. Hormones communicate with each other. Hormones orchestrate a ton of things. You know, so a lot of women can relate, like when they're pregnant, they may be more prone to constipation, for example, because the hormones of pregnancy can make your GI tract a little slower. Well, the same thing can happen as we get older and our hormones start to shift. Is You know, it becomes that much more important to eat the volume of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and nuts and seeds and beans and all these high fiber things that we um, encourage people to do and really get serious about the volume. So, you know, women in particular, because so much of our orientation is like, you know, watch your portions, eat smaller amounts that, you know, maybe we want to be mindful about the, the high calorie stuff and watching the portions. But if you actually added up the number of fruits and vegetables, you know, the average person is eating, what is it like an average of like, a serving of fruit, one and a half servings of vegetables. When it should be five, at least five. Yeah. You know, I mean, so we, this is a time to really get serious about saying, listen, if you have a meal and it's, um, say it's like a, a taco that has some chicken and lettuce and tomatoes in it, but lettuce and tomatoes are bonus vegetables. <laughs> you need to add a salad to that. You need to add some cooked vegetables to that. You need to eat a fruit, you know, okay. so... Just because there's a little leafy stuff on your plate doesn't mean you're eating the volume that's actually been shown to improve health on a lot of levels. That was It's interesting you say that, Hillary, because one of the things that when I was reading the book, I was like, if I eat everything I'm supposed to eat, I'm going to be like so full and I will be rotund. But that's not true. No, no, no. So we, we have several approaches to healthy eating. We like to say, look, you know, you can read this book and you can, can just be doing tweaks to your diet, you know, with all the tips that you say that you, that you found. Because um, you're already basically a healthy eater, but you may need some tweaks. Then you can look at the healthy plate icon and do it that way. Or you can look at the meal plants that we have in there, and they have calorie limits on them. So mm-hmm. 1,600 um 1,800, 2,000 calories, and we have five days worth of each. And you'll see that um, you won't be rotund at all because what we've done is made those meal plans packed with everything we say that you should be getting, with a couple of exceptions. But, it's really you know, not. You're also, you said it though right there, I'll be so full. Yes, if you, you eat more. rotund. I no, said no, both, no, yeah. That, she said, I'll yeah. be so full, I'll be rotund. And, like, the idea is to feel so full because you're eating things that are mostly water, have fiber in them, and are not going to load down with calories. So if you really get serious about eating at least a couple pieces of fruit, at least three servings of vegetables daily, that's going to leave a lot less room in your stomach for, you know, this little handful of this and little bag of that. And, the, you know, the things that we tend to pick on yeah, um, because we're not satisfied by a lot of things that we're eating. So, you know, it's... It's filling it's up on the stuff that matters and hopes it's going to nudge out some of the more calorie-dense stuff. Awesome. And then the, you also mentioned exercise is connected with the uh, microbiome. Well, um, there's some preliminary research that says that, that it, it shapes the microbiome. It, it, it's actually good for it. So, I mean, we know that activity is good for you anyway. It increases the circulation to your gut. It's one of the things that we recommend 
uh, for people who are constipated or who have a sluggish gut. Um, because, you know, just because of the circulation alone, you know, uh, to the gut. And so, um, you know, we, we, we're not really exactly sure. We don't even know what a perfect gut microbiome looks like yet. Um, but we do know that, you know, eating the 25 to 30 grams of fiber that we talk about in the book um, and moving around and drinking water is a good idea for your gut. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if you think of it in, this, in these terms, your GI tract is a muscular organ system. When you're moving and you're stimulating muscles around your body, you're stimulating your GI tract. When you're sitting, your gut is sitting too, which is why constipation recommendations are, you know, move around, be physically active, stimulate the peristalsis in your GI tract. But, you know, it's all of it's going to be much better if you've got something populating your gut to move through by eating more fiber. Yeah, and it's amazing to me with this talk about the the gut, about how it's not just physicality or weight, it's emotion and mental acuity, it's all together. So speaking of mental acuity and the brain fog that I suffer from since menopause, and it's getting a little better since I'm done with the divorce and out of that stress, which also kills your brain, um, can you tell us a little bit about what we should be eating to help with our memory, mental acuity? So the plan that we have in the book covers a lot of bases, right? It covers uh, your bone health, your heart health, your brain health, helps to lower cancer risk, helps to lower type 2 diabetes risk. So, you know, you don't have to say, oh, I'm just concerned about osteoporosis. I need to eat one way. It covers all the bases. That's Mm -hmm. the beauty of it. Uh, With menopause, as you mentioned, you know, what we write about in the book is that um, what the researchers find is that, you know, cognition, ability to remember, ability to learn kind of goes down in some women in the first few years after menopause, but then it levels off. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Great. Now, cognition and memory is kind of one part of, of brain health. The other is protecting it against stroke. And, you know, stroke is basically a problem with the blood flow to the brain. And you don't ever want that. You want your arteries to be clear and healthy and resilient. And so, again, that goes back to the menopause diet plan, which is plant-based, lots of protective nutrients, and helps to keep your blood pressure down, which is a risk factor for stroke, and helps to do a lot of other things that protect your brain. So this is really a one-stop eating plan. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a plant-based diet. So that doesn't mean it's a vegetarian diet. It can be if you want it to be, but that wasn't the orientation. A plant-based eating pattern is basically two-thirds to three-quarters of your foods are coming from plant sources, you know, more often than not, you know, not um, heavily refined. Plant-based diets are anti-inflammatory. Inflammation is is a common cause of most chronic health problems. It's high in antioxidants, so uh, excessive oxidation that goes unchecked can cause cellular damage, which can lead to a lot of different disease states. Okay. There's compounds in plants that help our body to detoxify naturally. You know, for example, in cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts and arugula, kale, radishes, they're really high in phytonutrients, these health-promoting chemicals that are in plants that um, they're called isocyathionates, and when you digest them in your small intestine, they break down to enzymes that help your liver to detoxify itself. So, you know, mm. that's just eating plants helps to naturally detoxify your body without any, doing any cleanses or <laughs> colonics yeah. or, you know, any manner of kind of crazy extreme things people think they need to do. No, just eat more plants and let them help you out with your immune system and your digestion. 
and your disease management. Does it matter how we prepare them? Do I get more bang from a raw carrot stick or a cooked no. one? Okay. No, because many of these phytonutrients, some of them are absorbed better raw, some of them absorb better cooked, some of them are absorbed better um, if they're fat soluble, if there's fat around. Like so, salad dressing or olive oil. Or like, you know, water. heating <laughs> tomatoes with olive oil. Like a bean more absorbable. So like that's an example of something that is a is a not a good use of bandwidth. Just vary up your vegetables and your fruits. And just eat and, them. And eat them some raw and some cooked. Uh, just eat enough. This week, the environmental group, like it does every year, released, you know, the Dirty Dozen and a Clean 15 list of fruits and vegetables that you're supposed to, you know, stay away from or always buy. And we think that's completely ridiculous because what it does is it scares people off um, from fruits and vegetables, which there's no need for. There's absolutely no, you know, no real scientific rigor to the way they judge um, what should be on those lists. Okay. Wow. So what I think what I'm hearing you say is don't get too anal about all of this. It's really kind of common sense. Right. Like if you go to the store and there's some organic stuff and it's for sale, you know, it's on sale and you like it, then buy it. But like some research suggests people that worry too much about pesticides and residues actually by volume eat less fruits and vegetables because they view fewer options. When really there's uh, so much that, you know, not everything, but there's so much that we can't be removed from plants by washing them under running water, you know, providing a little uh, friction for ones that will tolerate it, you know, peppers and apples, not strawberries yeah, and blueberries, okay. obviously, mm-hmm. you know, patting things dry. Um, but we don't want to put up any more obstacles than are already there to people eating the volume of plant foods that we really know is needed to optimize the health benefits. Yeah. Uh, smoothies are a way that I get all kinds of vegetables and, and fruit in. Super easy. You actually have five points in your diet plan that I wrote down. Eat with your body clock, plant foods that you've mentioned, decrease carbs, increase protein, control calories, and physical activity. Can you talk a little bit about the body clock, what you mean there? We understand that human bodies work differently based on the, you know, the rising and the setting of the sun. Because, you know, through evolution and before Edison, there was no, you know, (laughs) uh, artificial light to keep us up all hours of the day. So it's interesting because, you know, even in the early hours of the morning, three or four o'clock in the morning, our physiology metabolism um, starts to change to ready our body to get up and get at it. So we understand that many of our hormones and aspects of our metabolism rise with the sun and then function more optimally during the sunup time of the day with the anticipation that the sun's going to go down and we'll be resting, not eating and metabolizing food. But now because we have such easy access to artificial light, we have a lot of people actually doing a lot of their eating, if not more of their eating, in the late afternoon and into the evening, often because they're not eating enough during the day. Mm. Whether they're just busy or, or trying to diet until, you know, your brain gets sick of it. And, you know, food intake starts to take off. So we understand, at least for many people, it may be easier for them to store leftover calories than kind of burn them off as heat if they're eating a lot more later in the day. And that's unfortunately become a pattern for us as a culture where we run around, you know, like chickens with our heads cut off and we don't eat enough during the day. And then it eventually catches up with us and we have this pattern where our food intake is escalating as the end of the day is coming along instead of winding down with our natural circadian rhythms. Gotcha. 
Yeah, and you said as we age, our circadian rhythms tend to get kind of whack just naturally. I mean, you know, I think it's along the long list of things that change as people get older. Mm -hmm. We know that teenagers and people in their 20s have different circadian cycles than those of us who are falling asleep on the couch at 8 o'clock. Yeah. Circadian rhythms are very deeply rooted and we need to work with it instead of thinking we can outsmart a million years of evolution and I'm not going to eat a lot during the day, but then I'll just make up for it at night. Is now clear there's metabolic consequences to that. So you're saying we should eat more earlier in the day? Yes. In fact, I was just telling Liz, there's a study that just came out from N. Haynes, which is one of these kind of giant ongoing database of research through the government, that found that people that started eating before 8.30 seem to have lower rates of diabetes and insulin resistance. And insulin resistance gets worse as people get older. Diabetes risk goes up as people get so, get older. So that's, you know, pretty consistent with what we recommend, which is to start eating earlier in the day. You know, we don't we don't have things that say eat by 830, but, no. you know, kind of get into it early enough in the day. So you're proactively eating and being attentive to your hunger mm-hmm. instead of ignoring it and then having it blow up later in the day. Okay, so I have trouble sleeping through the night to begin with, but then if I'm hungry, I wake up. Because I'm hungry. So what types of food should I be eating at night since I'm eating less so that I can sleep through the night? At every meal, you should include at least 20 grams of protein. And some women will need more. We talk about that in depth in the book because it's very, very important as you age. Also, protein is a very filling nutrient and uh, it will help you to feel fuller for longer. So if you're eating, you know, half a box of pasta... Um, it was sprinkled with cheese and some butter or olive oil for dinner. That's probably not going to cut it. You might wake up in the middle of the night hungry. That's a very carbohydrate-heavy meal. Mm-hmm. So if you include healthy fats to help you feel satisfied and enough protein at dinner, um, you shouldn't be waking up. Beautiful. And then I tend to also eat in the afternoon because I get tired. I don't drink caffeine. So is there a snack or something that will give me a boost other than something sugary or carbohydrate that would be a good snack so ideally a snack um, would be like a little mini meal and then it would have some sort of a carbohydrate okay be it like a whole grain or a fruit you know maybe some vegetables and some sort of a protein so fatigue in the afternoon can be related to our blood sugar starting to drift down you know on the lower side and then your nervous system's got no energy so you know Having that healthy carbohydrate there along with the protein, which will drag out the digestion of the carbohydrate and hopefully give you more staying power from your snack as opposed to grabbing a fistful of Cheez-Its or something and then being hungry again in an hour. Don't don't have a snack that doesn't have protein in it. It'll, It'll backfire on you. Okay. Oh, thank you. Another bomb that you just blew up my mind. I so appreciate it. So, okay. Can we talk about weight gain? And you just had a great thing on Instagram about exercise and weight gain, which also blew my mind because before COVID, I was running like two, three hours a day. And I think I was then overeating and I was hungry all the time and I was tired. I had to come home and nap. And um, so can what happens to our bodies in menopause? You mentioned that, oh, let's see, women 40 to 60 years old, two thirds of us are overweight and that we tend to gain a pound and a half a year in our 40s and 50s, and that it tends to go to our belly, which then causes inflammation and causes our muscles to go down. Oh, my God. So give us some hope. 
Well, you just, you pretty much just summed it up. Um, thank you for doing all that research into our book. But, you know, yeah, we, we do find that a lot of women are going into menopause already overweight. And then what's happening around age 40 is you're starting to lose muscle mass. It happens to guys too. Okay. So a lot of this is just simply aging. It's okay. not necessarily menopause. What is menopause is um, it, there seems to be an association between the decline in estrogen levels um, and the accumulation of body fat so that when you gain it, um, it tends to go to your belly. And um, not that it doesn't go everywhere else. It, <laughs> it will. It will. But you may have not had any fat in your belly or you know, relatively flat belly your whole life and then menopause comes along and now all of a sudden you have, you know, what we sometimes lovingly refer to ours as a muffin talk, you know, and it's just there. So what you really have to do is take a look, a hard look at your calories. And I think Hillary was alluding to that earlier when she said, you're picking up a bag of chips here or something here, or so you're grabbing, you know, you're not planning. You're not knowing what your balance is. You have to find your balance. Mm. Um, you also need to exercise and maybe exercise differently. You just mentioned very intense exercise. And for women, when they do very intense exercise, they tend to eat their calories back on and then some. So they're always mystified by why they're not losing weight. Well, they're so hungry and they made themselves so tired, and which makes you hungrier. <laughs> right. So what we recommend is finding activities that you love and, and that you can do but also strength training or resistance training of some kind at least two times a week, you have to preserve that muscle tissue to preserve your metabolism. Yeah. It's like the only thing we have, the only card we have in our deck as we age to influence our metabolic rate is our body composition. Mm -hmm. And I think people in general reach their peak muscle mass like in their 30s, right? And then it's like a kind of a downhill gradual slide what we found when with uh, looking through the research, you know, the study you mentioned about women gaining on average a pound and a half mm -hmm. through their 40s is a lot of these changes are occurring way before they're saying I'm in menopause. I mean, menopause is I've gone 12 months without a period. Well, this has been a process that's been evolving for years. Yeah. And if women don't start thinking about how your metabolism starts to decline, you know, starting in the years prior to menopause, they may they may end up being pretty far behind the game. Um, if they don't pay attention to what they're doing with, you know, diet and exercise and such until they actually hit menopause. So it needs to happen much sooner. And then they kind of, they kind of wake up when they're 50, 51, 52, 53, and so like they feel like a, a train hit them mm -hmm. you know, because their body all of a sudden changed. No, it was not all of a sudden. It was creeping up on you. But since no one likes to talk about menopause that much right. um, or warn women about what they need to do or, uh, you know, discuss all the side effects that happen, you know, to a woman, um, you know, they, they don't know. They're blindsided. And, and it's women, it, this cuts across all you know, socioeconomic groups, all even, you know, very well-educated women have no idea what they're in for. And when I say in for, I don't mean something terrible. I just mean another phase of your life. Mm -hmm. That's it. They have to prepare for. I think also what can happen is, so Liz and I talk about this a lot, that 
So once you stop talking about menopause, sometimes everything gets blamed on menopause that happens to women in their midlife. And so obviously we wrote a book about this. We're not trying to minimize that. But like, look at what's going on in women's lives, you know, in their 40s and their 50s. Absolutely. You know, they are raising kids, you know, that maybe aren't moving out as early as they'd like <laughs> while their parents are getting sick and their job, is, you know, they're getting promoted. So they're traveling more. And they have more resources. So, you know, so there's a lot of change stuff yeah. that is happening yeah. collectively that is shifting calories in and calories out. And it's just not until we, like, often we hit menopause, like, oh, my God, menopause, I'm going to have belly fat. Boom. Oh, my God, it's oh, there. You know, it's kind of been <laughs> happening. Um, it's just that there's just too, it's often happening too late. And the thing is, is you're, like you said, you're so busy in your 40s juggling all these things. And then you kind of maybe get, are able to take a breath. Mm-hmm. You know, in your early 50s, you go, oh, God, now this. Right. You know, when it would be nice if possible. If, you know, it, I think the more you know, the better off you're going to be in terms of preparing and planning for this phase. And, you know, the statistics are pretty, um, you know, out there that uh, – you know, a woman could live 30 to 40% of her life in the postmenopausal state. And so imagine that, like, you know, you, you, you prepare for childbearing years, right? You want to, mm-hmm. you know, you do really well when you're pregnant and you try to be so great when you're breastfeeding. And then no one tells you about, you know, this like third of your life where again, aging is in there too. And we have to understand that we've got aging plus menopause. So we want to be as healthy and energetic as possible. And, you know, what can you do to that end? I think in a nutshell, it's kind of this simple. If you keep doing into your 40s and into your early 50s what you were doing in your 30s, you're probably going to gain weight. Yeah. So you just need to try to be a little bit more aware that as you start to enter your 40s. Liz and I always talk about, like, your calorie margins become very Razor narrow. Razor thin. <laughs> so, like, you used to maybe used to be able to eat, you know, ice cream in front of the TV in your 30s and not gain weight. Well, that's probably not going to fly right. once you get into your 40s and into your 50s. Yep. It yeah. doesn't mean you can never eat ice cream. It just means you just have to think about your habits mm-hmm. and how they play out in terms of calorie and calorie distribution. Yeah, well. yeah. And there's hope. I mean, you said 80% of strokes are preventable if we have a healthy lifestyle. You yeah, know, there's a, sure. we Absolutely. have the power. I mean, we just need the information. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. If we didn't think there was hope, we wouldn't have written the book. Absolutely. And you give so much information about hot flashes and and weight gain and all of the things, brain fog and cancer. And I mean, it's just, it's full of such information. Supplements. Talk to us about supplements, please. Well, you know, whether or not you need dietary supplements, and we only cover, you know, vitamins and minerals and omega-3 fats and things like that. We don't talk about the other herbal and botanical supplements because that's really not nutrition per se. Okay. We don't, we don't cover that. Um, you know, whether or not you need a dietary supplement it is based, is based on you. Um, but you probably in your diet, but you probably are going to need more calcium. And Hillary and I talk about this all the time. Living in the Northeast, we're very aware of our vitamin D intake because it's next to impossible to get enough vitamin D in your food. So it's not like okay. once you hit menopause, you need more vitamin D. You don't. You don't need, need you've needed it all. You needed it all along. Oh, okay. <laughs> you need to get it now. Okay. Okay. I don't need massive doses. 
Um, you know, the amount that's in a daily multivitamin is plenty, along with a healthy diet. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah. We should also say, though, for people that want to know, is what I'm doing enough? This is the perfect time of year if you live in the north to have a vitamin D test. Because it will tell you without supplementation or with whatever supplementation I'm taking, you know, for several months without sun exposure, my blood level is X. Mm -hmm. So you're actually testing out a supplemental dose in addition to whatever you might be getting from diet. Because okay. I know I've seen people who don't supplement that much and have levels higher than you'd think. I've also seen people that need to take outrageous amounts of vitamin D um, to get a, a normal level. So there are... Uh, potential variations and how much somebody might need to take to get a healthy level of vitamin D. Yeah, but you know, right now that's very hot. It's a very hot nutrient because of its potential, um, you know, uh, interaction with COVID nineteen, and it, it, that hasn't it, that has not been proven. But you need vitamin D anyway, so you need to make sure that you're getting it, um, and it's usually in a supplement. So. Um, 15 micrograms a day is plenty. And, uh, so that's vitamin D calcium. You may need more of, you do need more of as you, um, get older, mm -hmm. but not that much more. Okay. Uh, vitamin B12, um, you may be taking, um, proton pump inhibitors, which is Nexium and Omeprazole and Prilosec. Mm -hmm. And that interacts with vitamin B12. So you might need more vitamin B12. Again, but the amount found in a multivitamin. I mean, we're not okay. big on, you know, throwing huge amounts of supplements at your diet. They are there to fill nutrient gaps. Also, metformin is another drug okay. that a lot of women may be on for their type 2 diabetes. Um, that also interacts with vitamin B12. And what else? Magnesium? I mean, yeah. B12 is the major thing. I mean, these are, you know, things like um, meprazole, Prilosec, and, you know, metformin. These are things that that women often end up on for very long periods of time. Right. Mm -hmm. So it takes a while to get B12 deficient if they're chronically on those medications, have their levels tested by their primary care doctor. Uh-huh. I Definitely. love this, that everything's handled by my multivitamin. I mean, keep it simple. This is beautiful. Most most things are. There's a couple of things that aren't. Calcium typically is not. I mean, if you really are not a consumer of dairy foods, you're not going to get enough calcium. What we're really talking about is multivitamin, multi-mineral supplements. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because sometimes you're there, they just have vitamins in them, but if you're going to take one, you should take one that has vitamins and minerals. But you should not take one that has iron in it if you no longer have your period. <gasps> so, uh -huh. no iron. Okay. Okay, you're not losing iron anymore. You're not having a period every month anymore. You're not losing it. And we don't want it to accumulate in your body. That's what the over 50 supplements are about, like women's multi, over 50 men's, over 50. What they're doing is modifying them based on changes that occur with age. And you still, you still have to read the label, though, because some do put a little bit of iron in there. Okay. I didn't even know there was over 50 multivitamins, so thank oh, you yeah. again. Okay. The yeah. audience out there can't see. My jaw has literally dropped at least 20 times during this conversation. Absolutely fabulous. <laughs> and your mind has been blown. Too, right? It's fabulous. Okay. Fluid intake. I am constantly yeah. dehydrated. I, I sent oh, you this on, on Instagram. Part of it was 
because I was running for two or three hours and down south. I mean, like, duh. Um, but yeah. also, it seems like as much as I drink, my body is just not holding on to it. And I've been taking, like, things with electrolytes, and that seems to help a little bit. I don't know how to stay hydrated, but you also mentioned that I don't have to just be drinking water. I can get my hydration from my vegetables and from other sources. Um, And coffee and tea. Can you talk a little bit about coffee and tea? And then we'll get to alcohol. (laughs) So, you know, anything that's liquid, it would be if it melts, counts towards fluid requirements. Okay. That includes ice cream, right? It includes everything that melts. Chocolate! Uh, And it includes caffeinated things for people who are habitual users of caffeine. It's not considered dehydrating. Okay. Most vegetables are like 99% water. So the thing is, as people get older, your hydration needs aren't going to change. But what might change is how sensitive you are to thirst. So thirst is not like you're you're getting dried out. If somebody's really thirsty, they're already dehydrated. So it's helpful to maybe take stock halfway through your day and say, you know, if I'm aiming for, you know, a quart and a half or two quarts of fluid or whatever it is you think you need, um, to take stock at like one o'clock in the afternoon and say, how am I doing? People tend to drink more if there's some flavor to what they're drinking. So if, if water is a problem, maybe put some lemon or lime in it, some cranberry juice. I loved your maple idea. I never thought of that, putting maple syrup. Maple water. Yeah, maple water. Interesting. Yeah. It's just more interesting to drink things that have flavors. Always helpful to try to stay ahead of it than to try to play catch up because we all know when people get older, they get up more to pee in the night. Mm-hmm. It takes two or three hours to kind of equilibrate your fluids so that if you can try to do more proactive drinking earlier in the day you won't feel the need to catch up later in the evening my problem is that then I have to pee every two seconds during the day so I may be a place I mean I have no problem peeing outdoors which I do quite often but you know (laughs) I'm like well I can't drink now because so can I does it matter do I have to do it over time or can I kind of load my my liquid you can load your liquids. I can. I mean, okay. it, you know, it can, yeah, and it depends upon why it is that you're drinking. If it's hot, like you live someplace that gets pretty hot in the summer, yeah, it would be more important to drink throughout the day. But I mean, if you know you're going to go out and run errands, it's perfectly fine to drink more in the morning and then okay. go down a little bit so you can be out for a few hours and then pick it up when you get Okay. Back. All right. You said that coffee, including decaf, can help with our cardiovascular health, type 2 diabetes, Parkinson's, and some cancers. Yeah, coffee is the number one um, contributor of phytonutrients or plant beneficial plant compounds oh. in the U.S. diet. And the reason for that is because we drink so much of it. We drink so much coffee. Oh, um, okay. And so, yeah, it can be quite beneficial. Of course, if you're adding sugar and cream and whipped cream and flavor shots and things like that, yeah. you are adding calories. And, you know, it's like drinking soda. Yeah, you might. It, okay. It, definitely. And okay. You're, and you're detracting. You're detracting from the core benefits of okay. coffee. Okay. But but we can also get benefits. We don't have to drink coffee. We can get that same benefit from, I guess, asparagus plants. and broccoli. Plants. Coffee beans are a plant. Tea leaves. I'm not a coffee drinker, but mm-hmm. I drink, you know, two or three cups of tea a day. Also contains antioxidants. Yeah. Fruits, vegetables, plants. Okay. Yep. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay. On to alcohol. Because alcohol, they're showing that uh, older women are one of the highest growing abusers of alcohol so oh yes oh yes we're writing a piece about that right now oh Um, thank you 
you know, there's some evidence to suggest that drinking has gone up during the pandemic, which isn't surprising, but, you know, it's kind of almost um, seen as like a kind of a socially acceptable way to deal with the stress. But we know that if anything, you know, the health experts are, you know, increasingly concerned about the consequences of drinking beyond moderation, which, you know, people have to be serious about, uh, they don't want to kid themselves about alcohol being helpful for them beyond moderation. And, you know, if we think that in reality, a glass of wine is five ounces, um, well, what people pour in their kitchen might not be five ounces. It might be twice that. Yeah. You know, if, if a beer is 12 ounces of a roughly 4% alcohol beer, if you're drinking 16 ounce cans of craft beer that are, you know, six or 7% alcohol, that's a different beast. Also, yeah, um, and it's pretty easy to free pour a little extra vodka or you know scotch in your rocks glass if you're not measuring. So we, you know, we we are not teetotalers, um, but we feel strongly <laughs> that people have to be aware that a it has calories, it has no health benefits beyond moderation. It may change your inhibition about the food choices that you're making too if you are you know, drinking every night. Um, but it's concerning that uh, women are catching up with men in some of the health consequences. Mm-hmm. It's not something that a lot of women talk openly about either. Um, you know, that kind of drinking is done at night, um, maybe at dinner, maybe after the kids are going to bed. But if you're using alcohol to cope, you know, you need to talk to somebody about it. Yeah, my partner is 25 years sober, so I don't drink when he's around. And since COVID, he's around all the time. So, so, but um, he says that if you think that you might have a problem with alcohol, you have a problem with alcohol. Mm, that interesting. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. enter the head of someone that doesn't have a problem with it. So, if if you have those thoughts, then please, like you're saying, go talk to somebody and and address it. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. Well, what else do we need to know about menopause and diet? We should clarify that that moderation in women is up to one drink a day. Yeah, and that's all in the book. I mean, we we go through all the details of that. Exactly. You know why why the effects of alcohol are harsher in women mm-hmm. than they are in men. Yeah, and I loved your Instagram where you showed like what a drink actually is, like what we think a drink is and what it actually is. <laughs> right. It's a yeah. very different thing, so I loved it. Yeah. Great. Well, anything else to feel complete besides getting your book that we should know? I think just know that like we've we've said a lot of things that sound kind of depressing and and, and kind of a bummer about midlife and menopause, but just know the whole purpose of us writing the book was that. This is actually with some very reasonable attention to your usual habits without sweating the things that you do occasionally. You know, we're best, very best in people living the healthiest life they can while still living an enjoyable life. But, you know, there is some requirement of time and attention to eat healthfully on a daily basis. It doesn't just fall into our laps. So to think about, you know, your week, your day, like what is what is what is my plan? You know, when am I going to find time to shop so that when it comes time to make a decent choice, I have something available to me. So planning is kind of the holy grail of decent eating mm-hmm. at any age. Yeah, I find that because then I'm grabbing for something and not having it in the house also is very helpful. Very. 
That's what I loved about your book is it's very informative, but it also keeps it simple so that I don't go, oh, forget about it. I'm just going to eat what I want. I mean, it's just, it's really common sense. It's simple and really informative. So I really, I can't thank you both enough for this. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for your interest. Yeah, thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you to Hillary Wright and Elizabeth M. Ward for their time and all of that information. Hope you enjoyed their book, The Menopause Diet Plan, or any one of their other myriad books or TV appearances or radio or media. And thanks to all of you for listening. This is Sharon Salzgiver, and that's The Thing About Aging.